0: Amen. Amen. Hey, as that goes around, we're going to jump right into our brand new series. If you have a Bible, you can go to Jonah chapter one. Now I know Jonah is a story that people tend to know, uh, but don't tend to know where the book in the Bible is. So if you have an actual Bible, it's right between Obadiah and Micah, which that doesn't clear Anything up? Um, so cheat and use your table of contents. That's allowed. That's that's in there. In my Bible, it's page nine hundred one. I don't think that helps you, uh, but you can use that. Also, if you have a phone or an iPad, that you can probably just click and and find Jonah. Now, he, here's the thing: many of us know a little bit of the story of Jonah. How many of you grew up in a church or Sunday school? You heard the story of Jonah. You know the story. Like a guy, he's told to do something. God called him to do. He chose not to. So God puts him in the belly of a big whale lights a candle, the whale throws him up and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. See, we mix our stories, right? Some of you are not paying attention. You don't even know what just happened. It was the best joke of the message. You're done. All right, so Jonah's story. Here, here's the thing, though, is we start into Jonah's story. In the next four or five weeks, I'm hoping that you get a little bit of a different picture than just the Sunday school version you were handed. But here's the thing. You cannot understand Jonah's story without understanding runaways, okay? Anybody run away when you were a kid? Or maybe like yesterday, you just <laughs> you just took off. How many of you ran away? You you actually wow. This service just stayed home. okay. One or two of you. All right. So I, I wanted to get us a little bit of a feeling of of what running away feels like. So we're gonna set the mood with some music. Now if you know these songs, sing along, dance, whatever you want to do. But but check out these these great runaways. Oh, got this one? anybody name the artist? Come on, shout it out. Don Jovi. Come on, Jovi. It's not shot through the heart, so nobody knew. Do. Mm-hmm. How about Young Generation? This away, is Ed Sheeran, for those of you who don't know this. Away, this is where we find everybody. Oh, good. This is a band called, try. anybody know? Soul Asylum. Like I, I was in a band. We stole the somewhere. name of Soul Anatomy. <laughs> There's another one coming. Right, and right, see, all the heads. On this one, all the heads are like this. You just can't, you can't not do that, right? Anybody got this one? New Mars, Some of you need to listen to modern music. This is my favorite. Crank this up if we can. Does anybody know this one? When it gets to the part, you got to sing it. When it gets to the part, you got to sing it. Dad will lead us. <laughs> you ready? You ready for it? Here we go. The younger generation like, what the heck just happened? She ran away. Yeah, it's so good, right? Aren't these good songs? Okay, you guys are more awake than the 930 crowd. So I wanted you to hear some runaway songs because the story of Jonah is a story of runaway. It's a man who just checked out. Like he just took off. There's some famous runaways that we know historically. Do you know Harry Houdini ran away from home when he was at age 12? Many people don't know where he went. I can't figure out. I was like, he disappeared, and it was, started the trajectory for his life. Ben Franklin actually ran away. Ben Franklin was leaving his family in Boston because he had apprenticed for his brother-in-law for a while, and he was writing all these papers, all these papers, all these papers. He couldn't get them published, so he began publishing under what I think is the best pen name of all time, Mrs., anybody know it, Silence Do Good. That was Ben Franklin's pen name. And when his brother-in-law found out, he said, I've got to get out of here. People are going to freak out. So he went to Philadelphia. He ran away. He did some stuff, you know, basic stuff, like started the University of Pennsylvania, discovered electricity, signed the Declaration of Independence. He kind of made some productivity out of his running away. So, again, real quick, how many of you ran away when you were kids? Hands high because I want to see it. Three of you, this illustration may not, four or five. Okay, you're, you're coming along, it's just a slow morning. Okay, now here's my question. Did you leave a note when you ran away? How many of you left a note? Yeah, I found some of the best notes of runaways this week and I wanted to share them with you. These are all from kids, I thought they were great. One said, I'm running away because you think I farted when I didn't who doesn't feel that at times, right? Here's another one. By the time you read this, I might be leaving. If you want to see me again, I'll be at the first McDonald's that you see when you go right from our house. I love you, right? Here's the third note. Mom, I ran away not because you're mean or anything. I only wanted to meet the Spice Girls. I get it, right? Like, who doesn't feel that? Dear mom and dad, I ran away. I'll be back soon. Love, Joey. It's all mom's fault. <laughs> it's Yes. Okay. Mom, I'm going to run away tomorrow at 9.30 when you and dad are sleeping. Be sure to say goodbye forever. P.S. I'll be back tonight. That's a planner. That's a, that's a planner. Dear mom and dad and family, I got really mad, so I ran away. P.S. I might come back. I like that one. Just keep my options open. Um, don't forget to run away tomorrow. Somebody found a note. It was just a reminder. It wasn't a letter. It was just don't, don't forget to do this. And then this is one of my favorites. Mommy, I think I might have to run away sometime and get a new life and other stuff. And I think I have enough money and get a job. I'm sad I have to go, but I'm having a rough day at school and other times. I'm going to have to go. They need a grammar class. I'm going to have to go on Saturday. Please help me pack and get a new mom. If they don't want me, this is the great caveat. If they don't want me, take me to the orphanage. I love you and I'll miss you. (laughs) It's so good, right? I love those because when we see these, when we hear these, we think of kids running away like that. You know, some of them don't stay gone more than a minute. Some of them can't even get out the front door and it's cute, but here's the thing. As we get older and we run away from things, it's not as cute. In fact, for every kind of funny story of a kiddo that tried to run away and didn't get out the door, there are painful stories of those who ran away. Maybe teens or adults Who've run away in different ways and faced this, this pain, these consequences, these hurt because of decisions that, that they've made. Here, I was thinking this week, what is it that we run away from even today as adults, as individuals? What is it that we run from? And I, I kind of came up with this brief list. Here, here's the first one. I think oftentimes we run away from relationships. Many of us run away from relationships. Things get hard, we get hurt, anger sets in, shame causes us to hide. So we run away and marriages end or relationships shut down or friendships are dissolved in pain. We run away from these relationships. Some of us run away from decisions. Any indecisive people in the room? You can't even decide to raise your hand or not. I don't know if I should let this be known. Many of us run from decisions. Anxiety surrounds us, fear overwhelms us. And so we check out We just try to shut down. I don't want to worry about this right now. Some of us run away from, and this is hard, some of us run away from our emotions. We don't want to deal with pain. We don't want the inconvenience of of facing what we're feeling. Sometimes we just don't want to go there. And then this is the fourth one that I think is probably the critical thing from Jonah's story. Many of us run away from God's calling. See, some of you know this. You know what God has been calling you to, and you have been flat out avoiding it. Ultimately, that's the story we're going to be looking at. A man named Jonah who was called by God and didn't just shut down. He didn't just sit down and say, ah, I don't know. He actually ran the other way. So look at Jonah 1. Now, I know you've gotten Sunday school versions of Jonah, and it's all about this guy who was told by God to do something and he gets swallowed by a whale. First of all, we're going to correct that. We don't know that it was a whale. Might have been. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's somewhat mixed up because we miss some of the context of the story. Look at verse one in Jonah one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, as we get started, I want I want to pause there, and I want to show you a couple things. First, we are told that something comes to Jonah. What is it? Everybody shout it out. It's the word of the Lord. Right, that God actually speaks to him. Now, I want you to feel good about this because today I think God still wants to speak to us. I meet people all the time who are like, well, why why am I not hearing God? Why am I not hearing God? But I think God wants to speak into our lives, speak into our hearts. And when we disciple people in huddles here, we talk about this all the time. What is God saying to you? And most of the time it starts, the first few months people are just like, I don't even know what that question means. Because I don't know how to hear God speak. I don't know how to process that. And we practice it together. But as he's told, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, I want you to think about this because there's a tension. God spoke to Jonah. That's great news, right? We would love it if God spoke to us. Maybe. Some of us aren't so sure. Because what God speaks, we're going to see Jonah didn't want to do. God spoke into Jonah's life, but Jonah was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And I think that names us. In fact, I think today there's a Jonah in all of us. This is the first thing I would draw out for you, this story. First, God, God will often ask us to do things that we don't want to do. How many of you know that's true? You don't have to raise your hand, but, but God will ask us to do things that we are not comfortable with. God will ask you to do some things that you don't want to do. And often the reason we don't want to do them is because, watch this, I'm going to to step on some toes. Often we don't want to do the things God calls us to because we think we know better. Let me ask you a question. I'll give you an example of this. How, How many, vanilla or chocolate, which is better? Wow. See, you're all wrong. It's clearly vanilla. And I know that. Right, I understand that because that's, that's what I think. That's what I want. And you understand chocolate or vanilla because it's what you think. I, I was riding with our youngest daughter um, several months ago. We were heading to Clarksburg and she looks over at East Point Hill. You see the Walmart, all the shops up there. She's like, look, it's the mall. And I was like, no, it's not. And she's like, yes, it is. Like instantaneous. She looked like someone else that I know in the house. Like instantaneous. You can pick instantaneous. No, it's not the mall. I was like, yes. I, no, sorry. I'm sorry. She was like, it's the mall. My mind is trying to catch up. No, it's not. And she is insisting, like almost. To the, and I'm like, well, I'm going to teach her a lesson. I said, I'll bet you a dollar. This was the fun part. She didn't know what betting was. And she was like, what does that mean? And I said, well, if you're right, you get a dollar, which you're not which means I'm going to get a dollar out of this. And she's like, okay. She's the kid that loves money. She's going to have money later in life and she's going to take care of me. The rest of them probably won't, but she she literally is like, okay, I'll bet you, and I was like, well, you gotta shake hands. I'm teaching her all about gambling on the way to like, yes, it's a here, here we go, and she's like, okay, it's the mall, and I was like, Bella, it's not the mall. Look up there, and, and we had this whole incident where she found out she was wrong, and she's just like, and I'm like, well, let me teach you about double or nothing. <laughs> so we did. We kept rolling, and by the time we were done, she owed me like five bucks, and then she wouldn't pay. She was a jerk. So. Here's the thing, though, the point of that. She missed the context of the conversation. She didn't know where she was, so she didn't understand where the destination was. Many of us are this way when God's word comes to us. God says, I want you to do this. No, I don't want to do that. I know better what ha- should happen in my life. And God's like, really? You think that's the mall? Let me bet you. Look at verse 2. Here's what God actually says to Jonah to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, you got to understand because it's easy to read this and go, why didn't Jonah want to go preach the word of God, right? He's told go to Nineveh and Jonah doesn't want to do that. He has no desire to do that. He's basically like, I hate those people in Nineveh. The right? first year that I ever coached soccer here in Buchanan, we had we had this team, and I'm out on the field the first practice helping the head coach. I didn't want to be the head coach. I'm helping the assist, the, the head coach, and I'm standing out there. And there's this little girl on the field. She's standing in the back and she's picking flowers. I was like, she's not going to produce anything this year. Like I'm scouting the team, and this this little boy shows up late. And literally, all she does, she like looks up from picking flowers and she's like, Oh no! <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? She goes, I hate him. And I'm like, sh- sh- don't say that. And she's like, no, I do. I hate him. <laughs> and she had reason. And so we go, we go on, and I'm thinking, that's Jonah when it comes to Nineveh. Now it's real easy for us to go, why would he hate Nineveh? Let me give you some context, okay? Nineveh was the largest city, the capital city for the Syrian Empire. And the Syrian Empire was brutal. They were known, you can read this in history books. This is not all coming out of scripture. They were known that if they were about to attack a city, at times there were other cities, if they were about to get attacked by Syria, they would actually, the people of that city would just commit suicide because they didn't want to face the brutality of the Syrian empire. Because here's what happened. Here's what they knew about about Nineveh's brutality. When the Syrians attacked Oftentimes they would go in and they would attack the city. They would kill people. They would assault the women before they would kill them. They would torture the children before they would kill them. Then they would take the husbands who were still alive and were told historically they would skin the husbands alive and then they would bury them in sand up to their necks. But they weren't finished. As they were there dying, they would pull their tongues out and stake them to the ground and they would allow them to die. And when it was all over, they would behead them and they would take all the heads and they would move toward the city that they were about to attack next and they would stack a pyramid of heads to just show the brutality. So when Jonah says, I hate this city, now we understand it. Now we understand the atrocity, the horror. Maybe, think about this, maybe that's how it is with you. Maybe you know some things that God says to you and you just feel like, I don't want to do that. I recognize what it's going to cost me. I recognize the hurt that it might cost me to try to forgive that person again. I recognize the wounds that that's going to drag up. I I don't want to do that. I don't want to give the way that God wants me to give. I don't want to give 10%. I don't want to give up this relationship. I know this relationship pulls me away from Jesus, but I don't want to give that up. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to end that. I don't want to shut that down. And we know it's not what God wants, but we don't want to change. So we delay. Right? That's our approach. Many of us don't just run, we delay, we avoid. We think, I'll do it later. We avoid the people, the places, the places where we will go and actually hear the truth. Think about this, parents. It's like our kids, right? How many of you parent this way or you were were raising your kids and you were doing this, like, don't make me come over there. I'm gonna give you what, what's the, the magic number across the universe? I'm gonna give you to the count of, why did they not pick one? right? Do you ever think about that? Like one, two, then what's next? Two and a half, (laughs) two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. right? Here's what we're teaching our kids when it comes to parenting in that way. We're teaching our children delayed obedience. We are showing them, saying, "I'm, I'm gonna give you this decision to make, but you have time, just delay it. And so what happens, and I read a pastor who said this, I love this, he said, the mark of spiritual maturity is the lag time it takes us from when we hear God to when we obey God. He said the most spiritually mature people are the ones who have no lag time. God says something, I trust it, and I'll go. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of our churches in the West that that, that many times we're full of folks who delay our obedience to God. We sit in service, I see this all the time. We sit in services, and we have these emotional moments where we're just kind of going, oh, God, I just felt God is saying, Jesus is speaking into my life, and and you you walk out, these are the Sundays you walk up, oh, that was such a good service, And then it's like they disappear for six weeks, or we don't obey, or we don't follow up on the things that we know God has called us to. See, God will tell you some things, and let's be honest, sometimes we don't want to do it. So look at what Jonah does in verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish, that's a hard word to say, He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port of Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, notice a couple things, right? We're told in verse 3, Jonah what? Ran away from the Lord. And by the way, at the end of the verse 3, it says he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Don't forget, he was running away from the Lord. That's what the writer is saying. Don't miss this he runs away. Check this out. Jonah's told basically, go east to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay, I'll go west to Tarshish. You can find this on a map. They were polar opposites. One writer says that they were actually, if he had made that whole journey by ship, it would have been 2,500 miles away from where he should have gone. He couldn't get any farther. That's like God saying, I want you, hey, I want you to go to Boston. Okay, I'm going to L.A., but he was doing it by boat. They think many, many think that that could have taken up to a year of sailing. See, some of us get this, right? Because we've been running for a long time. Now, Jonah's doing a lot of running, and many of us understand this. We've been doing a lot of running. You've been drifting, right? I was thinking about this this week when, when we've been to the beach before and I've got my kids out in the water and we're, we're playing Jaws and all that stuff. Like, And you're out in the water for long enough when, you, when you're swimming and you're having fun and you look back and maybe 15 minutes have passed and you can't even see the house or the condo or the hotel where you're staying because what? You've drifted in the current. You lost where you were and you've drifted away. See, many of us, when it comes to the things that we know God wants to tell us, And we don't want to do, we don't want to obey, we don't want to follow. We're drifting and we're missing it. Some of you know this because years ago, you were really close to God. Maybe you made a commitment at camp or or you were in a a setting where you heard the gospel and you you started to pray, you started to follow Jesus, you started to obey the things that he said and God answered and, and he was leading you. But now you pray prayers and God answers and you're like, wow, what a coincidence, We delay this. We push this aside. We drift. But what if we were to go back to where we're being obedient? Here's the second thing that I think we find in this story. This is so critical. When God speaks to us and there's things we don't want to do, you will always be able to find there's always a ship going in the wrong direction. I don't know if you ever noticed that. There's always a ship. If God says, I want you to do this, there's always a ship going this way, right? Sometimes it's our friends, Sometimes our friends are that ship. Like, ah, oh, you don't have to go. Come on, come Okay, oh, that sounds good. I like it better over here anyway. Sometimes it's ourself. We are master shipbuilders. Right? We can build a whole lot of ship. And we can let it take us away from who God wants us to be, from where he wants us to be. And and I want you to understand that we can write God off or avoid things. We can always get away if we try hard enough. But watch this story and and see if it speaks to you. Verse 4 says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, here's my third point, and you're not going to like this point. You ready? You guys ready? God may send a storm to get your attention. So when we hop on those ships that are so easy to find that take us the other way, God may send a storm to get your attention. I don't want you to miss that because God will sometimes wake you up by sending a storm. I know some of you are already like theological acrobatics are happening right now. What does that mean? Does that mean God causes all the bad stuff in my life? Because I've fought that for years with me like I've thought that he's the one that I should be angry at and now you're giving if this is true you're giving me permission to believe that listen I'm not saying he's caused every bad thing in your life I don't believe that but I do believe sometimes God allows stuff to happen because he wants to capture your attention and it's the only thing that will actually get your attention Last year, I was in a really stressful season of ministry, trying to figure a whole bunch of stuff out. And I remember I, had, I got uh, the flu first, followed by having to have a tooth ripped out of my head that just was awful. I'll tell you stories, you gross out, it'd be like Syria all over again, right? <laughs> like flashbacks. And then the flu turned into pneumonia, and I'm laying on the couch feeling, what do we do? We feel sorry for us. How did I get here? And it was like God was saying, I couldn't get your attention any other way. I wanted you to slow down and rest. I wanted you to be still. I wanted you to put all this stuff aside that you've been carrying that I never meant for you to carry. See, sometimes God will allow these storms into your life because he's saying, I love you enough to get your attention. Look at what happens in this story. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Now understand in this passage when it says that, when it says God, lowercase g, that's the word Elohim. They were crying out to unknown gods. They were praying to any God they could think of. Any God they they were aware of, they were praying to that God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, watch this, had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Call on your Elohim. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish for seven. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity, to which I think Jonah was like, oh, shoot. They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. I don't know if it was like a twister spinner or what, but wherever it ended up, it landed on Jonah. So they ask him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? You What Jonah should have said was, I'm a runaway prophet. God told me to go over there. I decided to come over here. It's my fault. Let's deal with it. But watch what he says. Verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship God. The Lord. Now, when you see Lord, all caps like that, he's naming Israel's God. He's naming Yahweh. He says, I worship Yahweh. You've got all these Elohim, these unknown gods. I worship Yahweh, the true God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, "What have you done?" They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, "What should we do to to, to you to make the sea calm down for us?" Now, can, I, I just want to be honest with you in this moment. This passage, this part of this story is a little bit annoying to me. These sailors are stressed out. They're watching the ship rock. They're feeling it starting to break up. And they're going, what are we going to do? Let's cry out to every God we can think of. And the one guy on the ship who knows the authentic, true God of the universe is sleeping below deck. He's sleeping below deck. And when they figure out that this storm is his fault and they come to him and they say, who are you? Where do you come from? What's the deal? He says, I'm Hebrew. I worship the Lord, Yahweh. Really, Jonah? Like, really? Because you're going 2,500 miles away from where God wants you to be. Now you're going to start the God talk? You ever been in that situation where you blatantly rejected what God wanted and suddenly you're in a crisis? Oh, Jesus, just help me. Help me. Get me out of this tent. What am I going to do? Here's why this is annoying to me. See, today people are, and you know this, the people who don't follow Jesus don't follow Jesus because of the people who claim to follow Jesus but do not live like it at all. Do you understand that? The people who choose not to follow Jesus will reject Jesus because of the people like Jonah who say they follow Jesus, but their life doesn't match it at all. There's no distinction between them and someone who does not know Christ. This is called cultural Christianity. It's consumer religion. I will go to church, I will get what I want from God, and I will refuse to let my life match up in in, in obedience to God. We see this all the time. We live this all the time. Relationally, we say, God, I want you to give me all the good stuff, but I'm not going to let my marriage match up to what you want. We see this financially. God, if you will bless me, I'll give to you, but I'm not going to give faithfully like you command me to. Ethically, we see this. Fighting for justice, we see this. Politically, we see this. Sexually, we see this. Across our culture, there are Christians who are following Christ here and disobeying him here, and we're missing it. See, this is where Jonah is. You say you worship God, but you reject him. Then the storm comes, and Jonah Jonah finally realizes, well, this is my fault. See, some of us, some of you get this right now. And you think, well, it was just, it wasn't hurting anybody. It was just my private rebellion. I, I was just kind of just avoiding what God. I, it's, it's not hurting anybody. I don't want to say, listen, I want I love you and I love you enough to say this truth to you. It may not be hurting anybody yet, but your disobedience to God will eventually hurt someone. Because God has never been just about your pleasure. God has always been about your obedience that would bless others because you were obedient. He comes to Abraham and says, I will bless you as a nation to be a blessing to the world. And so when we disobey the things God has for us, we are causing hurt just like Jonah was doing to these sailors. So Jonah finally owns up to it. Look at verse 12. He said, can you imagine this moment? This moment just blows my mind. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. That's repentance, by the way. When we come to Jesus, that's repentance. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. And by the way, do you notice they're praying to Yahweh now? The pagans are praying to the known God. Please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Yahweh, have done as you please. Verse 15, then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Now the Lord, watch verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish. We're not told it's a whale. Might've been a great white. To swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Carrie and I were talking about this this week, and she said, do you think this really happened? Because there's debate, right? Depending on who you read, some, some Christian uh, views are, yeah, it absolutely. has a literal story. Jonah was swallowed. He survived for three days. There's a way, and they'll write science texts of how this could happen, how this could happen, and then other, other views are saying, well, it's probably just an allegory. We don't really know if it was true, and Carrie asked me, do you think this is real? And I said, you're not gonna like my answer. I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not a question the Jewish people even would have asked because it's the story of God, and it draws out for us this fourth point. Here's the reality. See, Jonah's worst nightmare, don't miss this, Jonah's worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. That fish being thrown overboard, thrown into the sea, swallowed by this fish, that worst nightmare was exactly what he needed. It was exactly what he needed. So it doesn't matter whether it was a fish, a whale, a shark. It doesn't matter. It was what Jonah needed because in that place, he had been stripped of everything else in his life. He had been taken all of his excuses. When you're sitting, by the way, when you're sitting in a fish's stomach for three days, your excuses don't mean anything anymore well, God, I was just, I mean, I was just trying to get a little sightseeing in before I went to dinner. I was gonna turn around and go to, I was just delaying a little bit. My that lag time thing. I was just, God's like, you, you realize where you're sitting. See, we don't make excuses anymore when everything is stripped away from us. When we're broken, when everything falls apart, our excuses go out the door. Our distractions go out the door. His running away, all of that was gone now, and he had three days to sit in the dark and deal with God Some of you want to say, why am I not hearing from God? Why am I not hearing from God? Put your iPad and your iPhone down for three days and sit in the dark and listen to God and watch what he says. Because everything gets stripped away. Some of you may be facing the brokenness that comes with everything being stripped away from you. You may be there right now feeling like everything is just falling apart. I don't know what to, and I want to say to you, you may even be on the edge of losing it all. And God may be saying, finally, I have your attention. Trust me now. Are you ready to stop running from me? Are you ready to stop running away? Listen friends, I don't believe God causes the bad stuff in your life, but I do think sometimes he allows things to get our attention. As the band comes, I want to I want to tell you one more story as we start to close. In 2014, there was a there was a 16-year-old boy who hopped a fence at an airport in California, and he ran across the tarmac, and he climbed up the wheel of a plane and he Put himself tucked in nice and neat in the wheel well of this plane. And the flight took off, and the wheels tucked in, and he was safe in there and facing 80 degree below zero weather. He made the flight for five hours from California to Hawaii. And the plane wheels opened up, and the plane landed, and authorities found this 16 year old boy wandering on the airport tarmac, disoriented, frostbitten. They said he may have brain damage kidney injury. He didn't know what was happening. And as he, as he suddenly and slowly, slowly, slowly came back to himself, he started to find and remember. And they said, son, why did you do this? What, what were you thinking? And he said, I was just running away from home. See, I have heard so many stories of prisoners in jail cells that when everything was stripped away from their life, they finally said, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running away can't do this anymore. And see, when we keep running away, we're just like that 16-year-old wandering through life, disillusioned, trying to figure out who we are, trying to understand what is going on. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but here I am, and I've just got to, I don't, and God finally says, I'm going to take everything away from you so you'll finally recognize I want you to come home. I want you to come back to obedience. You know, Jesus tells the same story with the prodigal son, right? This is the story of the prodigal son running away, going, God, Father, give me my inheritance. Let me go. And he squanders, he squanders, he squanders. And finally, when it says, when he came to his senses, he said, I got to go home. My dad's good. My dad's good. And if I go home, it'll be better to be a servant of a good dad than a runaway with no dad. And so today, as we close, as we start this series together, which, by the way, friends, I believe the next four weeks could set a trajectory for you of saying, I know what obedience looks like, and I'm going to live into that. Obedience starts with stopping running away. And today I'm inviting you to a place where you would say, I want to come home to my good father, and I want to be obedient in the things he's called me to. Let's pray together. And as we pray, maybe as you're here, this is just real for you and you just feel like this isn't a message. It's just general. This is a message I needed to hear. And maybe you just tangibly need some sense of recognizing that today you're making a decision. You're making a choice to say, I'm not gonna run any longer. See, Jonah had a point of surrender. He had a point where he had to say to those other sailors, you can throw me into the sea because I'm done running. And I think every one of us needs a point of surrender in our life. Or when we recognize Christ's work, when we hit a point that we say, I can't run any longer, we have to turn back to Jesus. And if that's you Uh in this place, I'd love to just pray specifically for you. If you're tired of running, if you're tired of trying to just fill up whatever's empty or, or, or pursue the things you think are going to bring meaning when you know all along you've been disobedient. if you, Whatever that is, if that's you and you want to pray, I would love to pray for you. And in this church, all we do is say, why don't you make eye contact with me right now? Nobody's looking around. Everybody's praying. But if that's you, amen. I just want to see your eyes, and I want you to know God sees your eyes. And God's going to be glorified in you by your obedience. Anybody else? So let's pray.